Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Daniel Christos. His last name is spelled K-R-I-S-T-O-S. And he is with Bow Buster. So you can see his podcast or his transmission. Bow, Baal, as B-A-A-L, right? Um, like Bow, you know, uh, Bow Barith is when we were talking about the pre-show. That's Damien Eccles' name or some of these other Old Testament gods. But he just published a book, title of it is Priestcraft Beyond Babylon. So I was reading through it today. A lot of really cool information. Some of the stuff that I've looked over, but other unique kind of material. So we're going to talk about that book and also his kind of podcast. So Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, William. Appreciate it. Thank you cool. for the opportunity to talk to you. Yeah, great. I'm glad that you reached out to me. People who may not have heard your name or your show, maybe you could do a little background information and what led you up to publishing this interesting book, Priestcraft Beyond Babylon. Oh, yeah, yeah. No problem. Well, I think I started the podcast under a dip while well, the the radio it had a radio show on revolution radio for about 34 episodes. And I also prior to that had a show called mission intuition that I had on YouTube. And then at I think around 2019, I changed the name to ball blusters. I kind of found a little logo. I, you know, took the, the, uh, Molochian looking, looking dude. And I just put the circle with the line across it over the top of it, kind of like a throwback to ghostbusters, but with, ball being the problem there um at first it was basically i was reading a lot of stuff that when i was on the elliptical i was just reading books so i picked up you know eustace mullins murder by injection had uh age of reason by thomas Paine, multiple books by michael s king and also uh did i already say behold the pale horse I probably no you did that. not but you do oh. mention uh cooper often in your book you actually kind of dedicate your book to a number yeah. of people, including Cooper. Yeah, exactly. And those influences over time, there was just so many ideas that I didn't know about. And I was like a history kind of a major. If it wasn't really an, more of an English major, but I focused. I had really great grades in the uh, in history in college, and that was what always interested me because I had maybe more than one professor that spoke off script, so he would always you know, interject things that weren't being taught. And that interested me because I like a good mystery, you know, that it, it excites me to try to find out something. Unfortunately, this stuff has real life ramifications if you don't know it. And that's where it gets a little, little dicey. So that's where I started putting out the videos, explaining in case other people hadn't heard this because at 30 something years old, I hadn't. And I wanted to uh, try to share that information because I thought it was vital especially the stuff that you hear from Eustace Mullins and the, the, you know, the history of vaccines never being anything that's really all that good for you. <laughs> you know? Right. And they just, it's all snake oil, man. They've just made up so much of the science and they have little like uh, axioms you're supposed to believe, trust the science. Why are you an anti-vaxxer? All this other stuff. It's once you kind of key into their language, it's like, these guys are just totally full of baloney. Read that a lot of those, uh, scientific papers they have are just total baloney they're right gar they're garbage but yeah and, and, so Eustace Mullins keyed into it I think they've been poisoning people for 30 years or 40 years in my opinion at least yeah and I have to wonder you know Bechamp back in the late 1800s he was able to make a microscope that on his own they called it a looking device or something like that it wasn't exactly called a microscope back then I guess or at least not his 
And he was able to observe living tissue. And that's kind of the big difference between that and an electron microscope where they poison it, blend it, throw a bunch of, you know, radioactive chemicals in it, and then take basically what's a negative of what that uh, thing is. And it's like trying to look at your hand and trying to figure out how it functions by sticking it in a blender and taking a little piece of it and sticking it under a microscope. Like that's not the most efficient way to figure out how that thing would operate when it's, you know, functional. So Bechamp kind of showed that there's this pleomorphic, pleomorphic microzymas. And when they say, you know, germs cause disease, this whole germ theory thing, what he was saying is, no, the germs are eating the toxins. So they will, you know, your, your cells will, you know, basically spit out this thing, whatever is needed for the toxin at hand. So it will generate what it's, what's necessary for it to eat the toxins. Now, sometimes it can actually create another byproduct that's not as good or worse than what it's trying to eat. So that's, that's where the problems sometimes arise. But I think you probably under, you know, I would imagine that from what I listened to, you believe that the body is a intelligent thing, right? That there's, there's a spiritual intelligence. Hyper-complex hyper and body-mind connection, yes. Right. And that when you, when you think of the allopathic viewpoint, it's uh, what Dr. Peter Glidden says all the time. Uh, they, they view it as, you know, there is no spirit, there is no God. There's, you know, this is an atheistic uh, practice and the body's just a bag of chemicals waiting to break. And if it was, if it was intelligent and never gotten sick in the first place, and it's the job of the, of the doctor to mitigate the symptoms, but there's no, there's no way of actually establishing a root cause or fixing the problem. Right. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's the whole thing. The body corrects itself. You and me are talking right now. Something's commanding our breathing and our heart rate and everything like that. So it's kind of silly to think that it doesn't, there's not some, like whether it's your hippocampus or something, something that, that is autonomically operating the, the human body. It's, it's off the charts. And that view actually pervades a lot of psychiatry and psychology too. Cause if you're just a bag of uh, synapses and things like that, you can just shove stuff in there to make you happy. And it's kind of like a panacea for your life. Like you, they put you on drugs for the rest of your life. I know people, on pharmaceutical drugs have been on there for decades man it's crap wow. yeah yeah that's sad too you know when you think of the older people and they're on maybe five different medications and then five more to counteract what the other five do you know yes, so it's, it's pretty sad and if then, you look you look through all those medications and see their efficacy and you'll be shocked like they they promote statins all the time and their efficacy is like less than one percent so according to a test like a uh placebo case and the statins there's almost no differential and then it takes out the effect of like why don't you go for a walk you know why don't you eat like uh fruits and, and vegetables instead which have dramatic effects on your, right. on your cholesterol and else so yeah it's a, it, there's a lot of fraud in this whole thing and what's sad about it is people i think are kind of blind to you know the common sense causation i would imagine you know because when you understand that there's nutrients that are depleted in the soil and that you know that if you if you discover that pesticides actually work in a way to where they block nutrients from being absorbed into the plant then you're not getting it from your fruits and vegetables either like you have to seek these these things out in this time you know in this uh present day world you have to pretty much supplement and if you're going to get the essentials and you know keep yourself healthy because if you feed your body what it actually needs it can usually be strong enough to fight off most things. And 
I, again, when it goes to the whole idea of a virus, like I think that's a complete scam. Um, sorry. <laughs> I, shouldn't have said that. I don't mind. I mean, I, I think that there are viruses. I, I don't know their efficacy or how like go, you know, I think they've been seen in an electron microscope. But that could whether, be free, it yeah. could be an exosome, it could be a piece yeah. of something else, you know. So right. it's to me, it, it it bothers me that uh, more sensible, logical things are not seen first. Like, is it the mis Is it the invisible boogeyman unicorn virus, or is it, you know, the fact that they poison your food, water, air, and you're taking, you know, you're lining up for an injection of a flu shot or whatever other shot. You know what? Which one do you think it is? The one that you put underneath your skin and shot right into your body, or right. some some exterior force of contagion? You know, they've been gaslighting the population for thirty years, at least for half a century. It's a total joke. And just the fact that they're putting anything associated with mercury in your shots is enough. They're right. lying. It's the most. It's, you might as well put plutonium in your body. And it's alchemical. Just known. Yeah, it's, they know mercury is terrible for you, so they're yeah. doing it intentionally. And, and what are what are the components here? We have alchemical metals, right? You have mercury, you have lead, you have aluminum, which I guess that wouldn't technically be a from alchemy because that's kind of man-made, right? But yeah, uh, we can it go into that alchemical field, right? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, just bad. another way for Alcoa to get rid of its its waste products, right? Right, just shove it right into your skin. Yeah. So a lot of those guys were, I mean, before whatever conspiracy culture, alternate media. These guys were putting out credit. You think that that Eustace Mullins book is a credible? I haven't read it. It's yeah, a credible it's, analysis of all these shots and stuff like that. Absolutely. So I mean, he it was published in 1988. So obviously, oh, there's a stopping point to where it goes. But you know, it's a really good history of the AMA. And I think I, what I try to do is I try to show people the history of these establishments that people have been trained since birth to just trust blindly so if you know where they came from and you know what they're capable of in the past maybe you'll think twice about trusting them now and it's more like trying to warn people you know it's 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 actually kind of a i'm trying to i'm trying to reach people's hearts a little bit you know and just hey this is what these people have been doing what do you think has changed since then to now they've just gotten more technologically advanced in how they administer these things and how they cover up their 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 failures and their lies, you know? Yeah, I think they're intentionally just poisoning humanity. They're anti-human, yeah. anti-human death cultists. And I mean, the CDC is totally corrupt, and so is the WHO. These are horrible. These are they're worse than some actual like foreign armies because <laughs> they've actually become uh, they've morphed or like camouflaged themselves into people thinking, oh, World Health, they really want my health. No, they want the opposite, baby. They want to they want a sustainable living. They want to kill off four billion people, man. Yeah. Uh, that's really their goal. They very have very ambitious goals. Yeah, they they've conditioned people to open the door for that type of invasion, you know. And you know they they've let their guard down to the point to they seek their advice for these types of uh you know how do we remedy this? How do we remedy that? Well, just ask the CDC. I don't know how many people still do that, but it must be in a, a lot. Just not people I know personally because. I think a lot has changed in the last three years, but who who knows, right? People love the truth. So they really are trying to follow, find somebody to tell them the truth about what's going on. And once they figure out, they realize they've been lied to, then it's like even more a matter of survival. So I think that 
a lot of the stuff in the past. Like me, for example, take me. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure these shots are causing autism and they shouldn't put this stuff in there. And, you know, I didn't get my children vaccinated. Uh, they didn't take, I don't call it a vaccine. It's a misnomer. I didn't give, give my kids shots when they were kids. They don't have autism, thank God. Right. And now I'm like, there's no question they're intentionally poisoning people. There's no doubt they're putting poisons in the system and they're trying to depopulate the whole world. Like I used to be like, that was kind of like a, a figment of my imagination. Like I got this eerie feeling they're really out to kill us. And now I'm like, they're definitely trying to kill us. There's no question. No, absolutely no question, especially after COVID. And, and if you look back into the history of, you know, ancient civilizations, ancient cults, the priestcraft were in charge of, or it was their domain to be the medicine men and the scientists, basically, right? Because magic and science, the whole Arthur C. Clarke uh, type of, uh, you know, adage of anything that, of technological advancement will appear to be magic. It's their dictum, right? It's the yeah. Yeah, so their knowledge and the lack of knowledge of others keeps them in a uh, superior class. So people will reach out to them and listen to their lead. And it's pretty much about control and power all the time. And I think that is not something that goes on very long without being completely corrupted by those same people that were already willing to deceive you in the first place. Right, it's a status thing, right? It's maintained that status. You keep the people in fear and eating out of your hand, and then the elite runs the priests and the, the shamans, right? Yeah. So it's and kind the advisors, of right? So right. You're, you're, they're in the ear of the king if the king himself isn't a priest king, right? Throughout history, so they're, and even now, like, what do you, who is surrounding presidents and and prime ministers? They have their advisors, and where do they come from, and what are they about, and are they just operating those people's mouths, or what are they doing? Well said. And I think you keyed into that. It goes all the way back through history, through all civil known civilizations. And you go all the way back to Babylon, right? Or you go into Mesopotamia. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Sumer a little bit. I got some information more more about their um, their practices and their worship practices. Because it's so funny when you look at this. It's like I learned, you know, about the Ugaritic text and the, the Pantheon of Gods, which is like 236 of them. But the more main ones in, uh, you know, Canaanite time, Phoenician too. And then you look at uh, some of the Sumer gods that kind of translate and cross over. The, their fables, their stories, the ball cycle, nothing really tells you that they're awful beings. But it's like it's more like the priestcraft guiding the people on how to worship them is what became evil. Not even so much the stories about them. So it's like Ball's a bad guy. Well, is he though? Is Marduk bad? Or is it the people that decided to, you know, crop up around that and guide the way that worship was going to be practiced? So there's a it's weird because it, you would think that there'd be some identifying marker of like, wow, Ball's a son of a bee, you know? So <laughs> right. I can understand why they would do this. But no, it's more like the, the priesthood around it are the ones that actually normal normalize the demon worship right these gods are all kind of demonic in their in their sensibilities right i mean there is um like and that was apparently ball was the son of dagon not l so there's some miscommunication misunderstanding through depending on what source you're looking at because they'll say they are all you know from l and then others will say it's from dagon so that makes a gnat either his crazy girlfriend 
or his sister or both. And that happened a lot in the past, but I think he was separate from that. And she was willing to threaten her father and also kill a bunch of humans that were uprising against him and his rule after he defeated Yam or the sea in one of the stories. But if, if you think about it, if your job is to protect a king and you know there's an insurgents, you know, building, I mean, maybe not taking too much pleasure in the slaughter of people, that, that's, that's a questionable thing. But definitely snuffing out the threat is something that you would think you would do anyway. So it's hard to really judge too much on that. I mean, she was pretty bloodthirsty, but at the same time, it was a logical move if someone was coming at you, right? Head him off first. That's kind of where it all started. Like your title, Baal, right? The Baalim, there was these false gods. It's Baal means Lord, right? So Lord of the Flies yeah. is what Baal. Yeah, Baal's above. Be right? Yeah. So, I mean, that goes all the way through the Old Testament. So you see all this stuff going back to the old uh, Holy Land. But that was like a common theme in the Old Testament, too, was these people going after Balaam, which is synonymous with Molech, too, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. It's because Baal, like you're saying, uh, and I, I was listening to the phonetics from uh, some uh, some Hebrew uh, video people teaching how to pronounce. So it's I guess it's Baal because of the little hyphen. So that's why it's more like a play on words because I'm from New York originally. So it's like yeah, you're a ball buster, right? <laughs> but he's pointing out pointing it out. It's like you know jacuz. Like these are the people that are responsible. But um, Baal can be generic, but it also depending on the context and who they're referring to, it it also is a specific person who sometimes are, is only known as ball. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's confusing if you don't know the, uh, which one they're talking about. Cause there's Hadad, there's, you know, Marduk, there's so many others that, and then Marduk has 50 names. And I think those end up in the grimoires that Crowley was very interested in. It's like the magical mm-hmm. names of Marduk are uh, part of the incantations or whatnot. Interesting. I don't recall that offhand, but uh, I'm sure he would be interested in a lot of this stuff, like his old ancient gods. I mean, he went through the whole Egyptian gods, which are like the ancient gods went from Babylon to Egypt to Greece to Rome, right? So all these pagan yeah. gods are all kind of... So now I think his table of correspondences, Crowley's, shows that they're all kind of like the likenesses, different names, but the same kind of... Like an archetype, concepts. right? Yeah, some archetype, yeah. Yeah, so you know what's funny is there's also, and I think this might predate a lot of it. It all depends on how you interpret what you're being told through the history books. But there are Vedic god similarities to the Canaanite gods. So you would think that would predate what the Canaanites, you know, civilization was. If if we were to believe that this is like Cro-Magnon man or whatever and Scythian type, uh, you know, the Vedic I don't know. I don't know, but I found that pretty interesting that they... So Kali is supposed to be something like that, which would make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Kali would be that uh, kind of death god or whatever. Right. She seems... Uh, and you know, that's funny, because a lot of people that... Uh, you went to the Kali with the tongue, and, and a yeah. lot of their interpretations, that tongue. Jack Nicholson does that in The Shining when he's at the wow. bar. And he does wow. that. He's, uh, yeah, that's what the, the inspiration for the tongue and the lips was for the Rolling Stones. Oh, is that right? Yeah, no, that's a known fact. Oh, my God. And also, like, they like Kali, the far-right, you know, racist, not neo-Nazis love this Kali and the Kali Yuga, right? They're trying to bring in this kind of end of 
the you call it yuga is this age yeah. of chaos kind of like an apocalypse right they're trying to bring that in yeah right and then who is um i think that there's there's things that line up between that and like the norse god uh mythos of loki or something yeah loki's i think it's one of his children right is the snake that's wrapped around the earth or or existence that kind of like the ouroboros is holding onto its tongue its tail but it's actually devouring itself and destroying the world that's in within it interesting yeah it's kind of like the kali yuga in a sense because it's total destruction so everyone's in valhalla now (laughs) right people uh, i think that the kali yuga influenced the grateful dead so the kali it's like all throughout the common common culture and i think that it's even in ed sheeran's uh bad habits video like he's doing the kali kind of sign smiling with his tongue out so you'll see that people do this like they'll make it in hollywood too they they, they know what they're doing like you're like, why is he making that strange face well you see he's doing a cult reference yeah yeah and that's another thing that i kind of bring up so i try to put a little bit of humor into you know it's very stressful topics for people if they're just getting into it and it could be a lot yeah ragnarok is another one right um when they're doing this hand sign, so many people are like, that's Illuminati. I'm pretty sure it's a gesture for like, you know, projecting your will or your intent onto others and you're doing a magical, you know, you're doing a, yeah, what do you call it? Like a working or whatever. Right. So. And that's all over the place. I think Hitler even was doing that. Yeah. Probably. There's actually a picture of him making that uh, triangle sign. Let me see if I can find it. He was Thule society, right? And. Uh, oh yeah. He was initiated into a lot of stuff, but definitely Thule early i mean all those early and nsdap people were like germanic occultism like that but also a lot of blavatsky and uh, yeah he definitely had a book of hers uh, on his like showing in a lot some of his photographs i believe yeah no i think that that's a given he was reading all kinds of magical text i did one in my book children of the beast he had a thing called like crowley had magic and theory and practice and he was reading uh and lining notes on this book forgot who the author was but the title was like magic will and theory in practice or something it was almost like a play on crowley's book or crowley played on this guy's book but hitler had that book it was in his library which a lot of it's disappeared but uh it's at brown it's actually at brown and uh yeah there's some, something else yeah. if, if there's anything that they've lied about and twisted around it's world war ii and world war one and the details around it like it, it from my perspective the bad guys won both times i mean we're looking at the bolsheviks we were lined up with them 40 50 million people of their own perhaps you know between ukraine and russia starved to death shot to death whatever you want to call it meanwhile uh you have the red cross going into camps and interesting shots there and uh every sudden everybody gets quote unquote typhus but that was that was the rothschild red cross doing most of that mass kill die off so I mean, it's like wow, that's crazy. There's a lot going on. <laughs> I think I don't, uh, know. I don't know if this. Let me see if I can pull this picture up. I don't know if it's legit, but I've seen it in multiple places, and it looks real. But you can take a look, and I guess you can, you can make the determination for yourself. I don't think this is shopped. Here's Hitler. Huh? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Wouldn't surprise me if that's real. Yeah, well, Maybe somebody in the chat knows. I don't know. Yeah, in, in the book, I made a joke because the the Sam's Club logo looks like the outline of the two hands going like this. 
It's like, oh, it's obvious what these people are doing. They're very enthusiastic about their Sam's Club membership. <laughs> but that black cube's everywhere. I think Freeman is, you mentioned Freeman at the intro of your book. That yeah. was kind of one of his claims to fame was doing all those corporate logos are just yes. totally chevrons and all this. It's all Masonic. So you're swimming in Masonic symbolism. That's kind of like the funny thing about the, the current age is all the public intellectuals, they don't want to talk about esotericism or the occult because it'll it'll minimize them or make them look, you know, off the thing. But we're just swimming in occultism it's everywhere. It's in right. politics. It's in culture. It's kind of funny. Yeah, the public initiation on the lowest yeah. level for sure. Yeah, just the chimera uh, representation and children's toys and, you know, the unicorn and all this. There, there's some dark stuff going on. Just, you know, put out there for very young children to consume. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Over and over. A lot of these shows like have themes of sacrifice and occultism. And like, I can't remember some of these shows names, but they're exposing. They're like, I don't know what it's like. It's not an overt initiation. They're. It's almost like somewhere between exposing the occult and initiating them, where they're showing them the symbol that they don't know the meaning of yet. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when, when I was listening to you um, in your you know, podcast, there was, a, there was an old Freeman episode that I couldn't place who he had on. And I'm pretty sure now after listening, it was you. It was about the occult symbolism and the Crowley numbers and magic surrounding 9-11. And then that, I, I don't think it could have been two people talking about that. And that was one of the more memorable, uh, you know, episodes that I had recalled. That was pretty awesome, actually. So it was uh, a lot there. Well, you mentioned in your book, you go through the monolith, right? Or you call it the um, stone of foundation, right? That's yeah. Another. Yeah. Right. Can right. Talk about that. OK, so the stone of foundation has multiple uh I guess it, like when you look at the, the Freemasons, they, they actually describe that they're deceiving people with this, this element and that you don't actually learn its true meaning until a certain degree has reached the Royal Arc degree, which I believe back in 2004 or something like that, they did away with it, that degree. Um, but they were saying that, you know, it's, it's Jacob's pillow. It's the stone that the, the royalty, the royal families have underneath their, you know, their. The, what do, what do they that? call it? The something stone. It's the uh, reveal stone of revealing. Yeah, they call okay. it the stone of revealing. Yeah, and then and this was Albert Mackey saying this in like one of the the Freemasonic encyclopedias, but he also said it was the stone, the rock upon which Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. Well, if you actually look at the stone of foundation, that thing's huge and it hasn't moved ever. You know, it's a huge rock that's at the in the middle ground level, still embedded into the into the ground at the stone of foundation. So that can't be what that rock is that they're talking about, right? So, but the monolith for two thousand one Space Odyssey, where you see it during the uh, the time of the apes, which obviously is another it's another uh, oh because evolution is totally true right, and right, legitimate, right? right? right. 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 It's another dig at Christianity, right? Or even Bible-based stuff. Clark was a heavy-duty uh, Mason. I don't know if you know that, but he was the highest. Kubrick? You know what you said? Uh, Clark. Well, Kubrick, uh, the story behind 2001 is that Clark, Kubrick was smart. He would find intelligent people to help him write, write his, his whatever he was working on, right? So he tried to get somebody to help him. And for 2001, he got Clark, right? A very well-known uh -huh. 
sci-fi author, but also he came up with the idea of geosynchronous orbit, right? So like satellites. So his he was kind of like a hybrid of science fiction and reality. So he was working with Kubrick to write the 2001 Space Odyssey. But one of the interesting stories is they were going to come out with, I think it was, the movie was supposed to come out in 68 or 69, and they were going to do a side-by-side -side book and movie at the same time. But Kubra kind of pulled a fast one on Clark and didn't give him permission to publish his book for another two or three years. So that I think the intent of Kubrick was everybody will just think that I was just making a movie, right? So he kind of pulled a kind of sharp practice is what I would call it. But anyway, Clark's book is very revelatory about the film because they were written concomitantly, right? And so you can see all that stuff and all of the Masonic numerology and kind of cruelly in numerology. You want to take a guess at how tall the uh, monolith is in Clark's version of 2001? I'd love to know. 11, 11 feet tall, right? So oh, it's the number great. of magic. Yeah, so they knew what they were doing. They, they were playing around with a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, so. You know, it's funny that, so here's here's something that you just made me uh, think of, is they're trying to utilize modern measurements in, and you know, ancient sculptures and trying to make some kind of correlation there to where they'll say, okay, you know, X distance from the sun because we tell you and that therefore you must believe us or X distance from the moon is re representative in the amount of stones at the great pyramid or whatever. So if that's true, where the heck did they, how did they do that when there was no such thing as a mile back then? Right. You know what I mean? So how did they line that up? So something about that is not accurate when they're when they're trying to pawn that off on you as something spooky. I mean, there's plenty of spooky things going on without having to uh, fudge the numbers in order to uh, make something work out for you, you know? Right. You mentioned the ba Balaam in uh, Baalbek or whatever. Isn't there some huge stone in Baalbek, too, that they can't explain how, how big and how it got there? Oh, that, that giant pillar that they, yeah, yeah there's no, yeah, it never got laid or whatever. It was just laying on its side. Yeah. They, you see the people standing on it. You can be like, in order to get the whole thing in the shot, the person looks like a little speck on it. Yeah, it looks oh, like a sideways skyscraper or something. It's incredibly huge. So there's great. a lot of mysteries. I mean, a lot of mysteries going back back in the day. But, uh, Which yeah, kind of, so, oh, no, Stone of Foundation is, just goes through our common culture. It goes back through masonry and kind of the ancient mysteries right it's kind of an ancient mystery thing yeah and then i kind of bring up the uh the the kaaba and the um the, what's that one the uh the, the black stone black stone right yeah and the the kaaba kaaba looks like a giant black cube as well and apparently that predated islam they're saying that abraham built it but it's it's a monument basically to saturn right because this, they were saturn worshippers prior to islam and the cube has always seemingly represented saturn and right, they just upgraded it and integrated it right right and and you know that's fine if if they if the intent and i think intent means everything especially in magic to be honest um if it evolved into that and their intent was to pay homage to one thing i don't think the i don't think the actual structure or, or whatever it is that they're looking at has to change it's just you know if if they'd evolved into a different understanding as to what this means to them i, I don't see that that's being a big deal but if the people on top who are shaping and changing the world still see it as a Saturn symbol. Well, that's where you have to concern yourself, you know? 
I mean, you see Blackstone, like this is one of the biggest financial entities in the world, Blackstone. You see it around. If you go to, like I grew, I grew up in San Francisco, and uh, they used to have the Bank of America building was the biggest building in San Francisco. It used to be a financial center before L.A. kind of grew after World War II. San Francisco was really the biggest city on the West Coast. And it was, uh, I think Gianelli was the founder or something. But they had a huge black stone right in front of it. Like I knew it. I didn't know what they were doing back then. Now it's like very clear to me that they're integrating kind of Masonic ideas and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. And that's funny too, because when you get into the Sabbatean Frankism and you talk about the, uh, the Sabbath or Saturday and all that, apparently Sabbatai means Saturn. Wow. So, and they kind of have that idea of like bringing about the most wickedness. It's almost kind of like the, this kind of Kali Yuga's type stuff. Like you're supposed to bring in the, be as wicked as possible to bring in the Messiah. Right. Or do yeah. Yeah, basically, apparently, if it's uh, too hard to make everybody good, you know, and 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 that would be the coming of their their, and let me just emphasize their Messiah. Uh, then the other alternative is to make it kind of like that movie. What was it called? The Devil's Advocate, right? With Al Pacino, he's like, I want to make it because he's like, he's like, Dad, why law? He's like, because I want it to stink so so badly that he has to come down <laughs> and take notice. So it's kind of like it's kind of like the same uh, logic there. And I think that's where you get, uh, you know, do you let God take care of certain things on His own timeline naturally? And does it mean the same? Does it have the same meaning if you force it? And really, all you're doing is tricking the other other people to believe that it's God's work. You know, how is that? Which you know, apparently, I would imagine that they'll also play once they once they condition the world and they're pretty, doing a pretty good job. They'll also yes. play the the role of the conquering god and take a bunch of people out and be completely justified because, hey, the revelation said so, and this is the playbook that we're following. So, right, right. So, like when that other messiah pops up, that'll be it. Like, hey, you guys are all blood drinking, sex maniacs anyway, so you're gone, right? So. It's a weird kind of rationale, like uh, kind of uh, purification Jake, through sin or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Jacob Frank was uh, quite the character, and there is—I don't know—I think it's pretty substantial evidence that he was the third man in the room. Uh, if you want to consider the scenario of like Adam Weishaupt, who was Jesuit trained, rabbinical father, um, and. Was it Meyer Amschel Rothschild at the time? Well, in so, Frankfurt, right? You wrote about that, yeah. right? Yeah, and then uh, Frank, you know, Frank became overnight rich, you know, and, and that that whole, I mean, if you look at the Jesuits or if you look at Sabatine Frankism, what they both say is, you know, blend in, espionage, you know, be converts into all these other things and never never show on the outside what you are in, internally otherwise you can't be a frankist same thing with the jesuits wow. it's all about spy spycraft so wow they can I infiltrate that. infiltration yeah. that's amazing and i mean i think i think a lot of scholars in europe i don't think it's kind of as much in the u.s because the illuminati isn't from here but they're beginning to acknowledge that the illuminati which is a real organization was part of the enlightenment it was part of it was a secret society that had a lot of influential wealthy adherents and they infiltrated things they infiltrated the french revolution and things like that i think yeah. even washington acknowledged that in the states like 
nobody knows more than me that these guys are real, you know? So, yeah. Um, so George Washington Snyder and George Washington, the president, were having correspondence back and forth regarding that. George Washington had said that he hadn't been to a, a lodge more than thrice in 30 years or something like that. Um, but, uh, I guess Do you George think Washington he was being died. honest. I don't know. I don't know. Some say that he didn't even want a monument to his death if when, when he passed. And obviously they didn't adhere to that if that was a real thing. Um, but George Washington Snyder actually sent a copy of proof of conspiracy. It's a longer title than that, but proofs of a conspiracy by John Robeson, who was in, you know, England, France, and a bunch of other European countries, Germany, and had seen the transition. I'm not saying that the that the uh, Freemasonic order was ever wonderful, but during the 17, like the late 1700s, there was an infiltration in the lodge that he he recognized this doctrine that was different. Uh, these new types of degrees that came out of nowhere. The freaking fr French Masonic Lodge had 45 degrees, wow. and a lot of them were just nonsense, hoity-toity, highfalutin language and ceremony. But wow. you know, they uh, he had also said that there was not just protestants that were you know hiding themselves from the the uh the counter-reformation war but then when the jesuits got dissolved or, or whatever uh ex i don't want to call them expelled but they were kind of put on timeout for a little while right there was jesuits in the freemasonic lodges too and that's where your brain starts to fidget like crack like how is it that there's protestants and jesuits in the same being being taken care of in the, under the same like protective umbrella of the Freemasonic order, that 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 requires a whole lot of like research to figure out how it is that they didn't. I mean, how did how did they're supposed to be at each other's throats, right? That's right. That's mortal it. enemies. Like, yeah, mortal enemies. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so you, I mean, going back to Frank, you see Frank as an influence on the New World Order and the present day Zionism, right? So you. Think yeah, I think. I think that Lurian Kabbalah is what gave the gave the go ahead for uh, active involvement in such a, a a plan to bring about redemption, and I think that's what they're they've been following, and they, uh, just uh, the new the more recent name for it is Zionism. But I think so uh, Zionism is part of Judaic redemption. Huh? Do you think that's the case? Well, like this whole Aliyah back to the Promised Land is part of their redemption as a people to to propagate the occurrence of the Messiah, right? I, I, th I think the concept of feeling like you have to take an active role as, as a Jewish person in the, you know, bringing about of that, of those conditions, I think, yeah, I think that comes from Luria to Jacob Frank and Sabbatai and then into the, you know, the base ideas of Zionism. I can't tell you about the, the details because I don't, I don't follow that practice. So, but, um, sure, yeah, for sure. But I mean, it is interesting. I think that, it was Theodore Herzl, right? Was the guy who kind of is the modern Zionist founder. But maybe, I mean, that's another line of research is how much those two guys influence Herzl. I don't know. Yeah, Herzl actually sure. brings up Sabatai, uh, but he says, oh, he really? says in, a, in a justful way that, you know, he does, Sabatai did this with his work to make himself great and that he does, he, he's a simple man who does it for the great of the world or something. He made that kind of. Yeah. Yeah, so but he did bring up Sabatai. So wow, yeah. Well, I guess I'm not surprised. The past is present, right? It's all coming around. Like these guys, I would did a show on uh, Net Not Yahoo mentioning Amalek. Like this is like a 2,500 year old reference. So all Great. this stuff, like you 
having your book, like you go into detailed research about all these kind of old, you know, gods going back all the day, but like it's coming back around. I think there was a bail arch that they put up in New York City. I got to find yeah. a picture of that. Yeah, yeah they put it in, uh, I, th it, I think it was in DC as well, but I mean, that's, yeah, the Archibald. And what happened when Pimera and all that? Like what ISIS like destroyed a ton of that stuff back in, I think, 06 or something? They were bombing the hell out of that and destroying. Yeah, let's, if, if they were actually an organic, right, <laughs> you know, organization of people who call, just happen to call themselves ISIS. Um, I know that's an acronym, but still, it's kind of interesting. It's uh, it's kind of strange that they destroy their own history in a sense, right? That's interesting. Yeah, they did a lot. They did a lot. Like they destroyed. Islam is really good at annihilating the culture they come into, you know, and just yeah. replace it. Apparently, just get rid of everything. Apparently, Allah told told uh, Muhammad to do just that. To tell them what your practice is, and if they don't want it, it's all right. Just kill them all. <laughs> kill them all and destroy everything, right? It's just right. That, just a total annihilation stuff. So. Makes you wonder what God they were talking to at the time and who 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 their Allah is. I don't think it's the same God as the Old Testament, but uh, I think it's just something like the gods that you talked about, a different type of God. But it, it, I mean, he like Muhammad, very good at trying to integrate his God, his view of gods into the Old Testament. But I'm not convinced. Um, who was Edmund Ronan? That was a name that I had not heard before. Oh, okay, I kind so, of knew Leo Taxel. You know the Leo Taxel story. But I do not know that one. Okay. Maybe you can help me with that one. But um, we can we can actually thank Freeman for this one and why I started reading the book Mahabone, or also called the Master's Carpet. A lot of these things are PD. They're so old. There's there's a free PDF online for it. Uh, Balenciaga, very very cool, John. <laughs> with the yeah. with the hyphen, I like that. Um, well, also, so so since he brought that up, let me just let me just say this real quick. If you see a lot of eights or bees in any of the strange, like occultic, uh, you know, when they put these these ads or these um, news stories where you know they're using numbers and they're probably passing notes in front of you to their, you know, to the adepts, but you know, it's like thirty three thousand die or something like that, but they'll have the thirty three in there or a multiple of eleven. The eights, and this is something that Nick and I have been talking about too, and he's been bringing this out to me, my attention. Uh, Nick Nicodemus. He, uh, yeah. If you look at a flattened eight on both ends, that's an hourglass, right? And they've been using this hourglass symbolism too. And they actually had one at the back of somebody's podcast where it was like the the flag of Israel, but it was an hourglass. The hourglass is a symbol of Kronos, which is Saturn, which is if you want to call it Satan or whatever. So, and if it's a reset, how do you reset an hourglass? You flip everything upside down on its head, which seems to be the doctrine of inversion, which goes right back to Frankism again. Right. Inversion is also a principle of Satanism. It's just flat Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. You invert everything that's in the Bible. That's the goal. Yep. Subversion, <clears throat> all that stuff. I mean, so Ronin is. Yeah. Okay. So he wrote a book. He apparently he was a, a very dedicated freemason and he had been writing out handbooks and you know trying to discover all the lost details of the organization and compiling it for his lodge and it was being dispersed around and i don't know if he came across like old scrolls or if he found some other information but he 
That's not my son. Uh, he ended up becoming very disheartened by his discovery. And what he was saying is that this was a cloaked cult of ball and that he didn't like the idea that he was in service to ball. <laughs> so then he wrote the book Maha Bone or the Master's Carpet, where I, I think it's like a, not a real letter, but it's kind of like correspondence back and forth to his quote unquote son where he's trying to talk him out of becoming a Freemason in the very beginning. That's how it starts off and um, making all his points. So he, it's like setting up the idea to have an argument or a discussion, like a Socratic discussion, you know? So he's pointing out where they've lied about their charitable contributions and, you know, not even to their own brothers after the fires in Chicago or whatnot. So there's a bunch of different details uh, that, he brings up but mostly it's the the ancient uh, mystery school mystery babylon connections from which he says the freemasonic order is in service to and can't be separated from right and you can't get away from it either once you make those oaths and right. you're initiated it's like you're haunted by it like you're making death oaths right like cut your throat and do all that stuff so oh absolutely yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can find one of the. Uh... Oh, okay, so he says, "If you is it right if I read from this real quick?" So this is a quote from from Maha Bowen or the Master's Carpet from Edmund Ronane. It says, "Freemason Freemasonry is far too serious a matter for any man to assume its villainous obligations without due reflection. For once you have crossed the threshold of the lodge room, divested of your cl own clothing and wearing the." Uh, habiliments of the order and when and when uh, and when once you become as it were bound by the cable toe of satan to the altar of ball there is no place for after repentance though like esau of old you may seek it carefully with tears living or dead freemasonry will never give you up the law of romanism is once a priest always a priest and so it is in masonry once a Mason, always a Mason. <laughs> That's yeah. And it's kind of like the secret underbelly of the United States. It's everywhere and it's all not even talked about. Like you never see it on TV or anything. But like even in my town, it's pretty small. There's a Masonic Lodge. There's a Masonic Lodge in almost every every town. But if you're not a Mason, it's just like a hidden thing. And I think Albert Pike said our lodges will be like um, beehives where there will be dens of activity, but to the outside world, nobody will just see anything, you know? Have and you I ever been to Salt Lake City? Yeah, yeah, no, it's totally Masonic, isn't it? Right around the Salt Palace and, you know, in the sidewalks, I believe the beehive is actually a symbol of Freemasonry, is it not? Because no, no. they no have it stamped into the, into like the, the, the sidewalk, you know, every so many blocks. And it's the beehive. Of course, obviously, there's honey there and all that stuff. But knowing that there's the Mormons, knowing that there's the, the Zion Bank right next to the Salt Palace, it's just a lot of symbolism all in one spot, right? There's no question Joseph Smith was going to Masonic Lodges. Yeah, We know that. That's a known fact. So he, he, he forbade everybody else to go to one, but he, because he was, at a, you know, better than he had, he had a friend <laughs> who was talking about the Illuminati, too. So he knew all the – he would – he was a lot like kind of uh, Kubrick in a way we talked about earlier. He'd find new people to give him ideas and then he would integrate them. So there like was one character who claimed to be 
like of some kind of tendril of the Illuminati. And then he was in, he's in and taking these symbols out of Freemasonry and signs and hand gestures and stuff. There's no question. And that's why I think the state symbol of um, Utah is the beehive. I think that's yeah. right. I mean, maybe I could be wrong, but I got to go by. But yeah, no, his, I have to do a show on just Joseph Smith and his Mason Masonic connections. They are indisputable. There's no right. question. Yeah, I don't think it was more of a, it was almost like he, like, did he feign, like, this, this, this trust or just, you know, just abandonment of, of the, of the Masonic order? I think it was like, like he pretended to distance himself from it, but it wasn't really, but, but it, there, I don't think there was any question or even in, in his uh, statements that he hadn't, you know, at least once been one, if he, if, whether or not he did maintained Position. I don't know. I have to go back and look at my research and like other people's books, but people have written about it. But there's no question that upon his death, when they got him in the Carthage jail in Illinois, he said, is there nobody with sympathy for the widow's son? So he let out wow. the Masonic uh, cry for help or something like that. So that was his last words was something from Masonry. Wow. And so it's like, that's a powerful element of it. But I think that in his public life, that wasn't ever divulged that I am a Mason. He could, I don't think he could tell his religious followers because they wouldn't have trusted him. I think so that would, so like almost nothing, I'm not a Masonic scholar. I mean, I'm not a Mormon scholar, but I don't think anything in that religion has an overt, like we're Masons too type thing. But right. I think that there was some Masonic element in Joseph Smith. There's a really good book that just came out this year where they're like, this is the Masonic Lodge at this address that Joseph Smith used to go to. So they have the addresses in these Masonic lodges that he's going to. No that's pretty specific. That's, that's yeah. Great. No, yeah. I'll, I'll, we can do another show. Maybe we can, I'll send you the book. Nice. But, uh, yeah, Joseph, Joseph. I mean, he was kind of like a Crowley, like a magician. I yeah. don't think people see that element to him. They see him as maybe more prophetic. He called himself the prophet, like a more Christian prophet element. But no, he had the seal of Solomon or the seal of Jupiter on his body when he was dead that's not a christian seal you ever seen joseph smith's seal of jupiter no oh yeah well, i'll pull that up for you it looks amazing he had that on his on his deathbed and that's actually he had a shoe stone like a literal occult shoe stone that he would use to peer and that's in the salt lake city mormon museum like this isn't part of like the christian tradition <laughs> this guy's this guy's a sorcerer man wow Come on, get a get, get a grip i've had a yeah. uh... Dr. Brian Artis on my show, I think 40 times. He used to be on every Monday. And a couple of the conversations we had was about his uh, his Mormon background. He I, apparently uh, fourth generation Mormon, but he got out of that. And um, he had some stories to talk about with uh, Mormonism itself. And then there was an additional video that I did with someone talking about the, uh, sex, the satanic ritual abuse that goes on in some of the there's like a lot of modern stuff it's very strange like this guy lever i need to do a show on that too so this is joseph smith's jupiter talisman it's like what is the jupiter talisman roman god jupiter this is what he had belonged to joseph smith probably silvery metal disc hebrew number on one side and astrological symbols on the other this isn't a Chris, christian this is a christian symbol so it's kind of like do? a zodiac right with yeah. the astrological symbols as a type of zodiac so the third hand account has claimed that Joseph had the Jupiter talisman with him when he died, but legal declaration that Joseph had on him doesn't mention anything like it. 
<laughs> I've heard, I've heard that that was a stated fact. Well, they were able to find that, but not the the golden plates, huh? <laughs> Good point. Good points. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the things that's kind of the giveaway from um, uh, Mormonism is they have two origination stories for the Book of Mormon. Do you know that? What's uh, what's so the, one is that he was uh, I I've got to go back before I get in trouble. But my understanding is that there's one where he was dictated the book through a shoe stone. Uh, so John D and I tell the story all the time. John D and Kelly, right, were the sorcerer and the recorder or whatever. So one is like doing the work and the other is writing it down. Scryer and writer or something like that. That was the relationship between Smith and Rigdon. So supposedly Smith is getting this from the shoe stone and Sidney Rigdon's writing it down. And then there's another one where they translate it with the Urim and the Thummim, right? So which one is it? I'll have to go back and look at that. But that's it's kind of indicative that's a little sus anyway. But nobody has that. Nobody's ever seen the plates. With uh, with Hubbard and Parsons, you kind of had that Absolutely. that relationship too. Yeah, no with doubt. the scrying. Yeah. No, but that's a Book of Mormon's brilliant, man. It's a great book. It's really interesting. Like they actually say that like there's multiple civilizations, and the Nephites came all the way from the Old Testament, like from Israel, in a boat British like an ark. What's yeah. that? Like like British Israelism, right? Right, right. British Israelism. So then they came to the states. And then there was already another civilization where there was one remnant of the guy of this huge cataclysmic battle that ended up down to one man. And then he left the plates and then another guy picked him up and started the new civilization. It's really great. It's a, it's a great book. Yeah. Does any I would, of that I don't, I'm Blavatsky. not saying that it's true. I'm just saying it's a great book. What's that? Does that any of that line up with Blavatsky's like a uh, root race talk? Like a lot of her oh, stuff yeah. I think is amazing, but then again, it gets into some other territory where I'm wondering it. How how can you know this? Is this sounds pretty speculative, or I'm channeling it or something? You know, I don't know. I know that she and those they go all the way back to like Atlantis and Lemuria, right? She so had I a think, lot of bad things to say about uh about the the Lurian Kabbalah, for sure. She was not a fan. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't. I don't know some of those details. I don't know that at all. And I don't think but, Crowley uh, liked her at all. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't. But he actually Crowley integrated one. I think it's the voice in the silence. He liked that book so much. He made it part of like, I think the AA to Astrum Argentum. Was Argentum part of yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he yeah, integrated yeah. one of her things, but I mean, he was around in that all that latter 19th century mysticism. He was definitely very aware of all that stuff. He was such a scoundrel too, like what he did with McGregor Mathers. You know, well, McGregor didn't copyright it, so he up and publishes it like it's his own, and then everybody thinks he's the genius. But the guy who was translating the grimoire for half his life was uh, McGregor Samuel. Right, he adopted and ripped him off, ripped off his styles, his magical style. They went to court, and there was like a recording of their court thing, and the judge was making some funny comment like, "These are two whack jobs having a copy copyright dispute." But yeah, he's made Crowley made it. Yeah, two Harry Potters. Crowley made an oath not to divulge that stuff, right? So he made some kind of secret oath, and then he went and divulged it like a jerk. Yeah. yeah. How about so the? Uh, he, that's classic Crowley, though. He was constantly in fights with all of his former friends and stuff, like Yates. He was always having like disputes with people. Like he just couldn't keep out of like. Oh. When you were talking about the well, actually, I started reading your book, The Order of Nine Angles, I, the Global Death Cult book, because mm -hmm. I didn't even know I had heard the the Freeman video or you know discussion that you guys had, and then uh, somebody said there's a book of it. I'm like, oh, so 
obviously I bought it. And uh, that part where the, the first guy that you're talking about in the original, I'm, I'm going to blank uh, out. David Myatt. David Myatt. David Myatt. What is it with mountaineering and these guys? Like he was, he was a mountaineer, you know, you had Crowley like telling people bad advice and they got caught up on something and died. And it's like, Switzerland, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, there's some kind of adventurism. So the adventurism maybe in the real world attaches to their spiritual life. So they have this need for adventurism. And so I love hiking and rock climbing, but I don't think I'm into their other stuff, you know, (laughs) it is strange. Daniel, we could talk all day. I mean, the great book, a lot of great research, stuff that I haven't, I, I never heard that guy's name before. Uh, Ronan. Ronan, yeah. So yeah. I'm glad that I came across that. There's other stuff. I would never have thought like this information would tie back into, you know, the Rothschilds and Knights of Malta, Jacob Frank, Zevi, and all that stuff. I mean, it's pretty, you've covered a lot. I mean, it's 400 pages. So you've done your homework. There's no question about it. Um, is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap up? Mm, no, I mean, you know, just talk about where you can get it. And I'm yeah, good. I really do. appreciate you having me on. This is a great talk. talk. Yeah, great to talk with you. Where can people find the book? Priestcraft Beyond Babylon. Okay, so on Amazon, it's available on Kindle version. There's a 8 by 11, so like this size book, it's a big one. Uh, that's paperback and hardcover. Barnes & Noble has a 6 by 9. And you can get it electronically there. And then I just learned of this thing called Kobo. And that's, they apparently they have their own readers just like Kindles. So it's available there in ebook. And then Lulu, which is funny because Lulu is like the food of the Anunnaki, like the people. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like Lulu Laman, that thing that's a big scrying mirror that people work mm-hmm. out in front of. That's another weird thing you could talk about someday. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think people don't know that there's an occult or like, mystical background to that word is that what you're saying yeah i think it well i mean it depending on how much of the sitchin stuff is you know credible or not i don't know somebody really went through his stuff and said he had a lot took a lot of liberties with the original source documents or something like that well jordan maxwell was a heavy funder of him and he was straight up in the depth so what were they what what were they maxwell maxwell was a total blavatsky type yeah uh I, let, I I mean, I would have nothing against him except for what he said about Bill Cooper after his death, calling him an what alcoholic you, and all the kinds of nonsense. I have it in one of my videos. I do a lot of Bill Cooper. Like, I'll take the hour of the time episodes and I'll find bits and pieces uh, that are, you know, that will translate into present day warnings. And I'll I'll replay those episodes and with commentary. So there's a there's probably like, I don't know, 28 to 30 videos that I've done of Bill Cooper. A couple of them are tributes like I did one for his birthday, his 80th birthday. Went for his, uh, November 5th is murder date. Uh, I did that one just recently, obviously, about a month ago. And then like a couple of tributes. But most of them are like specific to this is happening now in our life. This is what he said 25 years ago. Right. What have we done? What the hell have we done since then? Have we fixed anything? No, we haven't. And we're blaming everybody else. <laughs> right. And so you have like a tribute to him in here and also his Mystery Babylon series. I think you had the initiation. Like he was doing amazing work. I would listen to that Babylon history Babylon series like twice, all of mm-hmm. it all the way through. I think it holds up. I remember the one on the UN was really good. Like oh. he even had the meditation room down. Like almost nobody talks about that these days. Maybe a few here and there, but uh, yeah, that part was included in the book too because of its tiebacks to the 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 whole uh, Stone of Foundation lore. 
because of the, the monolith basically it's base it's a it's a stone in the middle of the meditation right, a black right? stone right yeah. right and you kind of get if you get into alice bailey and the externalization externalization of the hierarchy you see the sinister it's a in my opinion very sinister subtext under the name the words meditation in that context and what yeah. i mean is they're trying to meditate to ascended masters and stuff like that oh which boy i would call in my worldview demons so, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> channeling channeling something that they're apparently and, and with the zohar like most of the, the alien stuff that we're we're being told even in as entertaining and awesome as it might be or have been to watch ancient aliens it's like kabbalist demons rebranded as aliens when you get right down to it and there's really? a big mix and blend there there's a Zohar channel on YouTube that plays all this stuff, and it's always integrating. If you, when you catch when you catch the demonology part of it, and they start telling it as like an alien story, you start to realize like, oh yeah, now I get it. You know, wow. good good so, old Solomon so and with his seventy two demons or whatever the hell it was building temples and stuff. Wow. So well, I thought the Zohar was so supposedly Jewish mysticism. Is that right? Well, that's what the Kabbalah, yeah, Zohar Kabbalah is basically the same thing. But okay. when you're looking at that stuff, it's the mysticism gets into the, the strange, the strange world, right? And it's not, that's when you start getting into entities and things of that nature. And that's, I think they're trying to, uh, I don't know, summon, bring energy to, or, or attention to certain archetypes or whatnot to try to draw them closer. I, I don't know what the what the whole intent is there, but I think it's kind of dangerous stuff to be messing with if you don't realize that certain things, when you read it, it's reading you too, and it's right. integrating with you. Oh, <laughs> it's it's calling up your DNA. Dude, Peter Lavenda is heavily involved in the whole To the Stars Academy. He's like a hardcore occultist. I have all these wars with that guy, man. Holy smokes. And he is uh, he's been in the game for a long time. He knows a lot of those OTO rituals, all that stuff. So to see him in this whole UFO kind of environment mm -hmm. is super suspicious. Like, what's the? I mean, I think they're initiating. I mean, it's kind of like the like I spoke earlier. It's somewhere between exposing and initiating. There's yeah. some kind of like a Twilight World where they're acclimating people to these concepts, and hopefully, they can probably find some true, you know, demon worshippers through the UFO cultists. Is my guess. Yeah, I think they spell it. Yeah. Good, good. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say the title of Secret Machines is spelled with a K, right? The eleventh uh, letter of the alphabet. So they're giving they're giving something away there. Yeah. Right, just how magic is spelled with Crowley to yeah, to, yeah. to quote unquote differentiate it from stage magic, right? That's right. got to be the reason. <laughs> yeah, man, it's great to talk with you. Let's do another show soon. Maybe we should do, we should go into Joseph Smith or something like that. I don't know, but uh, all right, cool. Give me a homework assignment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the homework assignment for me as well. This is All Alex. Right. So this is great. Looking forward to checking out some of William's other stuff. Yeah, anytime. Maybe you can find my stuff on uh, my podcast. This will be out on my podcast. YouTube channel will pop back up. Rockfin. Patreon. I'm put, posting stuff on my Patreon for people out there. And you have, what, a Rumble channel? I think I have in your... Yeah, yeah. The end the of Rumble. The yeah, Rumble channel for, uh, for Ballbusters. And I got kicked off of YouTube twice. So um, I have a little bit of a presence on BitChute, but I I haven't put anything up there in a while. But so so mostly both uh, the Rumble and then the podcast version of it that has a link to the video and JoshuaTV.com is the other Joshua. one. And that place you you never get messed with. You never get anything. It's it's one guy. His name is Josh. Go figure. 
and uh, it's not a corporation, it's not a company, it's not a make it simple, right? right? Make it yeah. simple. Section two thirty. It's beautiful, great video player, good stuff. And you can be found on Twitter. Where's the best place if people want to follow up with you, ask questions or anything? Is there, I would uh, go to the Telegram group because that's where Telegram. I. Yeah, it's a lot easier. So it's t.me and then forward slash b a a l Busters Studios. Excellent. I'll put I, all those. I like, links. I like to pretend that I'm I'm bigger than I am and call it studios rather than desk at my house. <laughs> and this is only volume one. I mean, you finish off the book saying they're going to have volume two, so people can look forward to that as well. Yeah. And I'll put all these links in the show notes. But again, the title of the book we discussed today, excellent book, a lot of great research, is Priestcraft Beyond Babylon, Bill Buster's book one, and the author is Daniel Christos. Thanks so much for your time, Daniel. Thank you, bud. All right. Let's do that. I think that's one hour, four minutes. Yeah, I think that's good. Let's see if this stops, though. It's not stopping on me. Come on, StreamYard. End the program. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Stop. Do I have to get out of this thing? Oh, yeah, it's still counting. Are we still uh, on? Are you still? Uh, we're still live. Oh, we are? Yeah, it's still on. Hey, everybody. So trouble acting with my connection. This is the bonus material. <laughs> There it goes. Now you're frozen too. Oh no. Okay, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I still see the counter and you froze for a Me little too. bit. Me too.